This is Berkeley Voices. I'm Ann Bryce. As a kid growing up in Los Angeles in the 1970s and 80s, Charlie Yu watched a lot of TV. A child of Taiwanese immigrants, Charlie especially loved shows and movies starring famed martial artist Bruce Lee. His favorite was the 1972 film, Fist of Fury. One of the few ways that you could interface with Asians or Asian Americans in U.S. TV and film was through martial arts. That was like one of the sort of few like universally positive role models that an Asian American kid of that generation would have had. Like, okay, there's no like real actors or professional athletes or politicians or other like sort of public figures, you know, in the consciousness, but Bruce Lee is sort of universally known and universally cool. Most of the time, though, when he saw Asians or Asian Americans on TV, they were playing stereotypical or flat characters, sometimes offensive, sometimes not. But largely it was just an absence. It was like growing up watching way too much TV. Like I was a heavy, heavy consumer of television as a kid. And uh, it, it probably the invisibility did as much, you know, to affect me as the visibility. And so you have both sides of it is like not seeing it and then seeing very infrequent portrayals would put a lot of pressure on those portrayals. And, and, and so th- there was sort of that experience. Charlie is a Berkeley alumnus. He graduated in 1997 with a major in molecular and cell biology and a minor in creative writing. He's a screenwriter for TV and film, and he's the author of several books, including the 2020 novel Interior Chinatown, for which he won the National Book Award for Fiction. In Interior Chinatown, the main character is named Willis Wu. He's a young Asian-American man trying to make it as an actor in Hollywood. For Willis, playing Kung Fu Guy, someone akin to Bruce Lee, is his ultimate dream. But he feels stuck, playing characters that he refers to as generic Asian man roles. At Berkeley, all incoming first-year and transfer students got a copy of Interior Chinatown to read over the summer. So they'd have something in common to talk about with each other throughout the year, socially, in classes, and at events designed to explore the book's themes. It's part of a program from the College of Letters and Science called On the Same Page. Recently, I spoke with Charlie about interior Chinatown, how the best conversations can happen when we least expect them, and how it feels to be coming back to the Berkeley campus. I guess first, I was wondering if you could explain the title, how you came to it, and kind of and what it means for the story. Well, I mean, you know, for probably some people know, and for those who don't, you know, there's the convention in screen, and when you're writing a script for TV or film, of either interior or exterior is the first thing you write at each scene. It's called the slug line. On some level, it's just a very basic heading of like, are we inside or outside? It tells production, do we shoot this inside or outside? Which has a lot of difference, you know, for uh, timing, sunlight, 
elements, that, that sort of thing. But it turned out to be one of those things where it was a metaphor or a way into a lot of things that were interesting. I wanted to tell a story about the interior life of this character, Willis Wu. And, uh, and so it, it kind of dovetailed nicely with, with that. Mm -hmm. So could you explain what interior Chinatown is about? And also the main character Willis Wu and, and kind of what's his driving force? What is he after? Right. Yeah. In a nutshell, I guess this would be the Hollywood elevator pitch is, uh, Imagine an episode of like a police procedural, like Law and Order or CSI, and the cops, you know, in the course of an episode will usually go and, and question a number of potential witnesses or, you know, suspects, people of interest. And often in those scenes, you'll get, you know, someone will get like a very brief kind of cameo or one line, or they'll sort of play a very marginal part in the story the example I always go to is like, there's just a guy who's like unloading a van while the cops, you know, question him about what he might've seen. Um, and so this is really a story about that guy who's unloading a van. That's kind of the setting for this story is the idea of these characters who normally wouldn't have kind of a extended plot line or be regulars on the show. What is their life like when they're not being questioned by the cops, you know, like sort of imagine dimensionalizing the life and experience of a background character. And so that's really what Willis Wu is. He's a background Asian guy who doesn't really get his own storyline. So this book is trying to see what it's like to be him, you know, get into his consciousness. And that, again, kind of circles back to the title of, you know, giving interiority to a character like that. Mm hmm. For Willis Wu, what what does he want most of all? You know, in he, what he wants at the beginning of the book, uh, it changes over the course of the book. But what he wants at the beginning is to be Kung Fu guy. You know, that's what he wants, that role. Mm hmm. Can you describe what Kung Fu guy is? Yeah. Or who uh, he is? Yeah. Kung Fu guy is... Um, in, in the kind of world of this novel, it's the slot that's reserved for the special guest star every season or so who is really good at martial arts and gets to be cool. And so Willis knows that if he has a shot at success, that's kind of the path is to try to be that. He goes back and forth a lot with kind of what's happening in his interior and in his in his mind and, and kind of narrating what's happening. And then it goes to the script and, and the show that he's on. And so I was wondering why you chose that narrative style. I think the narrative style is at times, I'd say, confusing uh, and, may, and intentionally so. I think it, it was a kind of intuitive sense of, okay, there's a kind of rule at the beginning and then very quickly kind of starting to bend or even break the rules, even internally. And so what's happening, I guess, what you're describing, I guess, in terms of this narrative style is that there's a, there's literally a script. It's written as a screenplay. And Willis 
doesn't really have lines at first in the screenplay. He'll have like one or two lines and then he has these kind of asides or thoughts or interior monologue. And what happens in the course of the story because he's getting drawn into the plot is that he has increasingly has like actual lines to say in the show. And so and so what starts to happen is I think it becomes very blurry as to are we in Willis's head or is this actually happening in a way that everyone else understands it? And there's no, I, I, you know, spoiler there, I would say there's no real clear answer to that in most cases uh, where it is unclear because that's kind of the point, you know, I think we're in a very interior space here where uh, if people want to try to get a grasp on it, you could think of interior Chinatown as, kind of like a movie set but also like a mindset as well you know we're we're in a, a psychological landscape to try to portray what it's like to be marginalized in the way Willis and his family and the other people in his community feel there is one part in the book that kind of breaks from this narrative style it's almost like a short history lesson on the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882, which was a 10-year ban on Chinese laborers immigrating to the country. It was the first significant law restricting immigration into the U.S. In this part, it was um, brief and to the point, but very... um, arresting and and so I was curious why you why you um included that and what you hoped people felt from it or understood or learned from it yeah um i like to you know sneak in the veggies <laughs> uh-huh yeah yeah you know i learned about it first at, at berkeley you know in asian american studies 20a uh you know the sort of uh intro class that uh, really opened my eyes and introduced me to a lot of things for the first time. Um, And I also went to law school. I was a lawyer for a number of years before, you know, turning to writing full time. And so I really felt like I had to amortize my legal education (laughs) and like put it to some use. Uh, No, I mean, I, I think Willis is at the beginning of the book, kind of adrift or feeling stuck, feeling very much in his own head. And I think part of what he does in the course of the book is learns that there's, you know, he he gets exposed to sort of the system that he's part of. And part of that system had, has a history to it. And I think the exclusion act, for instance, like for when I learned about it, it, and as I continue to kind of learn and think about, it's not something that I was, conscious of until college and into adulthood but it's had an effect on and we continue to feel the effects of that right the exclusion act passed in 1882 and it didn't actually fully kind of get undone until 1965 It, it was technically repealed in 43 but until 65 the quotas were still in effect so it was 80 years over 80 years and we're really only two or maybe three generations out from 
the huge change that happened post 65. My parents are post 65 immigrants and that has continues to, you know, shape a lot of things that are happening now in ways that I don't pretend to understand fully. is playing all these background characters and he's kind of working his way up and he's waiting for this big break and then uh, later in the book his co-star tells him that you know working your way up in a system or being part of the system and trying to get ahead and go go up and go forward doesn't mean that you've beaten the system but that you've bought into it and um, I'm wondering if there's a moment where he's kind of he realizes that he's this is within me too like and I've been, I don't know, I've internalized it somehow. Yeah, I think, you know, I was trying to get at a number of things, you know, or help Willis get to a number of things mm-hmm. in the course of the book. It's a bit of an education for him, right? It's, a, I think, in a lot of ways, a coming of age story. And one of those things is, as you, you know, are pointing out, it's kind of, a larger consciousness of being in a system and understanding that there can be a trade-off in that, you know, in order to succeed, he's got to sort of reinforce the system itself. Right. And I think for me that, that I understand that as a kind of lesson or received assumption for, you know, I'll speak for myself as, as a kid growing up is like, there are certain paths, you know, education, go to a place like Berkeley, you know, and follow a number of career paths that are acceptable or prestigious or, you know, will sort of allow you some economic upward mobility and probably social standing to some extent. And ultimately, maybe a kind of cultural assimilation. And I think, you know, there's the question then is like, in doing that, what's left behind, you know, or what, what is lost, what can be lost. It doesn't have to be, but you know, what, what does that entail for, I think specifically a lot of Asian Americans who are either immigrants or offspring of recent immigrants to, to sort of try to enter spaces or systems that historically may have excluded either them or, and, or definitely excluded other communities of color. And so what does it mean for someone like Willis to, you know, who, who does he model himself after or how does he think of his place in that kind of system and what invisible trade-offs or other costs might there be to successfully assimilating basically. During the story, Willis falls in love with a co-star, Karen Lee, and they get married and have a child together. Eventually, Karen is offered her own show and a part for Willis. But Willis can't bring himself to give up his dream of becoming Kung Fu Guy. So he lets his wife and daughter move away, and he stays behind to keep pursuing the ultimate role. And after five years, he finally gets offered the part. He's going to become Kung Fu Guy. But when that happens, he realizes that 
he's been overlooking the most important role in his life, being a father to his daughter. So he drops everything to begin to build a relationship with his five-year-old daughter, Phoebe. The moment with his daughter, when they're sitting there, it just seems like really natural, really sweet. I notice that people, when they have kids and they write dialogue for kids, they're, it's always so realistic um, <laughs> because they'll like ask a question that's like super, super deep. And then you give them like one line and you're like going to keep going. And then they're like, anyway, I'm kind of hungry now. So, you know, <laughs> you know, they're figuring things out and you just try to answer them. But it's like they don't really want the full thing. They just kind of want to know like a little bit. And and then they're so curious about like the next thing. Yeah, the like a lot of the most memorable and honest conversations of my life have been like right before bedtime when I just want to get to the other side of 7.30, please go to sleep. And I'm lying on the yes. ground, you know, and my kids are past this age now, they're teenagers, but, you know, lying on the ground, just trying to limp to the finish line and then having like an incredibly funny or deep or surprising conversation with a small child. And, um, and that continues on in different ways. And just like you said, they're figuring things out and the mix of innocence and, you know, and then as knowingness kind of creeps into that innocence, it, it can be both really for me, poignant and revelatory and also, it, it can be, yeah, so surprising, but also um, cause me to just really see the world in, you know, new ways. And and so some of that flavor, you know, it's just like I literally stole things from my kids' mouths and put them in the book. <laughs> you know, like they're the best writers, you know, is a, a kid between, I don't know, three and 12. <laughs> After 12, then, then it's different Then they're kind of other things are going on, but, um, mm -hmm. yeah. And, and, and I think for Willis, um, he, he, that's kind of the ultimate role is like, you know, not to say that someone couldn't do this without being a parent, but for him in his story, like he shifts away from a, a self-centric worldview when he becomes, when he has to take care of someone other than himself. And I think, you know, in this, in the, kind of specifics of this story, I think things are possible for his daughter that weren't possible for his parents, for instance, like he's, mm -hmm. he's a bit in between them, but there is another act to the story that he will never really fully be able to understand because things are going to be so different for her. And, mm -hmm. but also maybe things, some things will be the same, you know, and negotiating or thinking about that tension of like, she still looks like she looks, but she's, even one more generation removed, you know, from country of origin, whatever that means for someone, you know, like his kid, but, um, mm -hmm. so, you know, so, so I guess all of that was, you know, why it felt like the right place is Willis's story is not ending, not ending, but it's transitioning into a different role. And, and then his daughter's story is really starting. Hmm. Is, are you going to write another book with her, the daughter as the star? <laughs> I hadn't planned on it, but I like, now that you said that, I kind of want to. Oh my gosh, I would read it in a second. And then, so on the same page, all the incoming students 
are reading, have read, will read your book, what kind of conversations do you hope that it sparks or, yeah, what do you hope that people get out of it and, and kind of like take with them and maybe apply to their lives in some way? Yeah. Yeah, it's like exhilarating, terrifying to think about all the, <laughs> all the people that are going to read this or, or at least pretend to have read it. Um, no, they're going to read it. Um, and, I, you know, I really hope that it does for some people, they could recognize some feeling or part of their experience, you know, whether that's having felt like an outsider, you know, uh, in in certain ways that maybe match with Willis's empirical experience. But I hope also the, the, in a more universal sense that, you know, this is a, really a book about roles and how we play them. And sometimes they are fundamental to who we are taking care of aging parents, you know, that Willis does, or, you know, um, being a good friend or partner, but also how roles, you know, or, or, that are, you know, can often be very limiting and, and or reductive and sort of the people underneath those. I, I hope that people can see that in one way or another, all the characters in this book, you know, are wearing a mask and a costume to some extent, and it doesn't fit them perfectly. And we hopefully see the ways in which the person underneath peeks out, you know, and can't really be fully covered by what's there. And and those moments when the mask slips and you talk out of character or, you know, you're lying on the ground talking to your kid, you know, sort of, you know, delirious with sleep, sleep deprivation. <laughs> um, those moments of real connection can come about. And, and so that I'd, more than anything, I hope it entertains people and makes them feel or think something that surprises them. I really, you know, I'm not just saying this, like Berkeley was a really special time and it was, man, I wish I had made better use of my time there. Um, but the idea of taking classes with people that teach there and the students and the other community members and just the books you get to read, uh, it's, it's like an incredible honor to actually be part of this program and to get to talk to you. And so I just want to, you know, just say how appreciative I am. And uh, it's just really surreal to to get to be coming back in, in this way. It's really exciting. Charlie Yu will be in conversation with Berkeley professor and playwright Philip Gotanda on August 26th as part of On the Same Page. The event is free and open to the public. The talk will be available to live stream for 14 days after the event to Berkeley students, faculty, and staff. I'm Ann Bryce, and this is Berkeley Voices, a Berkeley news podcast from the Office of Communications and Public Affairs at UC Berkeley. If you enjoy Berkeley Voices, follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can find all of our podcast episodes with transcripts and photos on Berkeley News at news.berkeley.edu slash podcasts. 